Today, we discuss a Christian response to the migrant crisis. We also talk about being a Christian in the public schools and are visited by an assistant principal from the great city of Providence, Rhode Island. All that and, speaking of citizenship, we talk about where is yours? This is The Deep End. We are so glad that you are here. It is a beautiful day in New England, and we've got lots to talk about. And joining me in the studios, I've got two special guests with me. A new guest today to the deep end for the first time ever. Would you welcome in Brent Rathui? Hello, Brent. Hey, Tim. And we also have Chris McEwen back again. What's this, three in a row for you, Chris? Yeah, it's a new record. Glad to have you back. Glad to be back. Thank you. Brent Rathui, I have known you for how many years now? Ten years? Many, many yes. years. More than ten Glorious years. years. Many years, many, many lucky years for you, my That's friend. That's right. That's what I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. Um, you are one of the people that I uh, just appreciate so much because of what you do for, for, the, for your church and for our church and, and how much you give yourself to the mission of Jesus here in New England. Uh, so much appreciated. I did your wedding. That's right. Many, That's many right. moons ago. Yep. Well, right back at you. It was a beautiful day. And uh, we're so glad to have you join us with the, on the deep end today. And we're going to get right to the news. Uh, there is um, some tragic news out of my home. Tragic news out of my home. My dog. Oh, he yeah. got the snip snip. Wow, <laughs> so sad. It happens. And currently wearing the cone of shame. Yep. So there, <laughs> there's a picture of Jake, and he's comforting poor Jackson. Uh, you can't see so clearly though, but we have another dog. I didn't tell many people this we have a second dog because we're insane and uh <laughs> so Jax went to the vet yesterday and uh his line will end with him so That's it it happens it yeah. happens I, I i was shown this online which i think is hysterical though funny things you can do with the cone of shame hmm. somebody <laughs> put Ooh, this martini very good <laughs> martini That's just in time two olives yeah <laughs> dirty <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> so so that's what's happening in my life. Hey, uh, if you're watching online, we always like to know where you're watching from. Tell us the town uh, or the room of the house. Make it interesting. <laughs> It'd be fun, fun to find out where you're from. So today we're going to uh, talk about a lot of news. We're going to have an interview, a brand new segment of The Deep, and I'm very excited about this. It's called The Church Has Left the Building. We'll get to that. But before we get to that, we've got talk about the migrant crisis. And so this is dominating the news, the headlines, and of course, the left and the right in our country are using it for political speech because the midterm elections are coming up and this is a huge deal for our country. And so it's going to be angled one way or another. And one of the things on the deep end that we want to continue to do is help Christians navigate these difficult conversations from a Christian perspective. Because the migrant crisis is a crisis and uh, they're going to be coming to the southern border at some point. And so what should be the Christian's response and you guys have been hearing about this yourselves oh yeah all over the news yeah and i want to hear from you guys about this too and so we're going to talk about that but that brings me to the segment that we like to call here on the deep end politicked let's go there (laughs) yeah so my head blows off like that it's fine you and everyone else Mm -hmm. the migrant crisis the question of course is should we let them in you know there's a question um well, there's a common criticism, Brent and, and uh, Chris, of Christians by non-Christians. You've probably heard this, is that uh, Christians like to pick and choose sure. what parts of the Bible we want to believe and practice, right? And yet, 
I have found that the same thing happens by non-Christians. They suddenly become pick-and-choosers about the Bible when it comes to what they believe Christians should do. It's kind of funny, you know? And I, I've yeah. seen it happen time and time again, particularly in regards to political um, hot topics. So the migrant crisis comes along. You got, what is it, uh, 7,000, 14,000, somewhere in that range uh, of people seeking asylum, quote unquote, into our country. And so the non-Christians, you know, the people who say, well, let's let them in, they're always looking at, now, now they're saying to the Christians, hey, the Christian thing to do right. is to let them in. And, and we've heard, I've heard that, and, I, and I, it's what Paul ticks me off a little bit about the whole conversation. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> because suddenly now the non-Christians care about what the Bible says. Right. <laughs> well, we don't care about all that other stuff, you know, so, you know, sexual morality, greed, um, hatred for other people. We don't care about that. But now, now that we want to have a political stance on something mm-hmm. and look a little bit better, a little bit more, we'll say to the Christians, well, you should, this is the Christian thing to do. I actually had somebody um, challenge me on Twitter a little while ago about socialism and because I, I tweeted out something about socialism. And I'm not a fan of socialism. Good. Don't know if you guys are. No. It's failed everywhere. Yeah, it's failed everywhere. But I tweeted out about it, and then somebody responded to me on Twitter about how, well, it seems like it's more about sharing the wealth, which is the Jesus thing to do. Oh, really? And I'm like, well... Interesting approach. Interesting approach, and also also an approach that says, I haven't really read what Jesus said. (laughs) (laughs) Because Jesus talks about the fact that there are some people that are going to get more, and there are some people who have and are going to get more, and there are some people who do not have, and they're not going to get any. And he is talking about money. He's talking about gifts. He's talking about responsibility and opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's not like God is up in heaven trying to make everything equal. Equality, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, in the weekend here at Waters Church, but equality is a myth. Like We don't end up equal, and we don't start out equal. Like We should, as much as possible with governmental policy, provide an opportunity for people to have an equal shot. But we do not end up equal in the end. Right. Like Luck yeah, plays a big part different. of things. Yeah, everyone's different. Everyone has different gifts. Yeah. Everyone has a different background. Everyone starts from a different playing field. Sure. So this idea that everything can be equal all the time, it's a fable. you got to get over it. you got to move on with what the opportunities are in front of you and then act on them. I'm off topic. Let's get back to the migrant crisis. Yeah. So your thoughts, guys. Migrant crisis, what's going on? Uh, yeah. Weird. Off topic. I, I, I call it a human, to- a human issue. You know, there's people, real people that are looking for an opportunity to improve their lives. And that's, as a Christian, that's how I look at it. But at the same time, if people are just allowed to come in at will, what would happen to this country? Sure. And we have a process that's been set up that's fair for people to come into this country. So it's a tough subject. Tough it's subject definitely that, a tough subject. Yeah. And people don't understand a lot of the nuances regarding this. Um, what is a decision that our government has to make when it comes to do we let them in? Right. Well, I mean, there's background checks, there's legality, there's, are they, are there any criminals? You know, I know that was a discussion. Right. Are there any criminals that are amongst them? I and, saw a video online just this morning about this yeah. guy who was in the migrant caravan, and he's saying, of course there's criminals in the Oh, one of their own. Yeah, of course. They're <laughs> everywhere. So, you know, there's going to be some bad eggs in every group of people. Oh, no, sure. everybody's perfect here. Yeah. <laughs> All Not <7, in> America. <laughs> so the question that we have to answer is, should we let them in? And we have to do a little talk here. This is, this is something that I really want to um, uh, focus in on. Christians have to understand that there is such a thing as the state. And so there's, there's institutions under which we live in. So the Christian church is a part of 
a community, which is underneath the auspices of the state. And so the state is the government. The state is the instrument of God. Scripture teaches us this, and you should be aware of this, Christian. The state is an instrument of God to protect the um, the predominant majority, the, the, the predominant community. Not everybody is protected necessarily by the state perfectly, but by and large, the responsibility of the state, according to Re- uh, Romans 13, is that the state exists so that the wrongdoer can be punished. Right. So we have laws and we have swords and we, we're well, not swords anymore. We have guns and we have <laughs> prisons and we have jails and we have court systems so that the wrongdoer gets punished for doing wrong. And then underneath the auspices of the state, you have the church, and the church is the family of God. Now, one of the things that makes the church so successful in this country is a beautiful idea called the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. I am pro-separation church and state. I am a huge believer in this. It was, by the way, an idea that was not common for all of human history except in this country 400 years ago started by who? Was it, you guys uh, know? Was it Jefferson? Is a quiz. I know. Deep it was, end quiz. I know it was, uh, uh, yeah. A no. Big Think American closer. Figure, uh, closer. Yeah. Providence, Rhode Island. Think Providence, Rhode oh, Island. Oh, John Williams? Not John, John Williams, Williams is a composer. Uh, uh, John Williams. Uh, Roger Williams. Roger, Roger Williams. Williams. There we go. John Roger Williams. Williams. <laughs> yes, uh, distant relative, hopefully, maybe, of maybe. John Williams. Who knows? Roger Williams um, broke away from the puritanical traditions of trying to convert the Native Americans by force in this country when, right. this, when they were trying to figure out what kind of country we were going to be. And he basically came up with the idea, like, look, we cannot establish a church in this, in this uh, nation because there's so many different kinds of people already in the nation. So he gets persecuted for this belief. He actually flees Massachusetts, moves to Providence, establishes basically the state of what would become the state of Providence, uh, state of Rhode Island. Um, the church is still in Providence, Rhode Island. You can still go and see that big white church there behind the mall. Okay. Um, but it's there. And he came up with the idea that, look, we do not enforce a a state church in this country. And it is one of the best things about this country because what that means is that now the state does not have the authority to tell the church what to believe and what to do. And the church doesn't have the authority to tell the state what to believe and what to do. So we have these two two entities that God works through, the state and the church. Or force anybody to do anything against their will. Against their will, right. And that's why, Christians, you want to support church-state separation. You want to yeah. be a proponent of this because I don't want the state coming in and telling Waters Church, my church where I pastor, this is what you should be preaching. And that's interesting because a lot of Christians say, oh, no, no, we want God in government, right? Yeah, and, and God should be a part of government. Yep. God should be a part of government in the sense that Christians should be involved in government. What? But not Separation. officially state-sanctioned laws and state-sanctioned you know, uh, theological treaties that become... Um, legislated, so to speak. So, for for instance, I don't want my state to legislate to Hindus they need to pray to Jesus. All right. And Roger Williams didn't want that either. What did Roger Williams say? He actually said that we want to convert them through the power of the Word of God, right. not through state legislation. Free will. Free will. Let God, let God speak to them through His Word as He does throughout the entire uh, Bible, speaking to us through His Word and changing our hearts through His Word, not through government coercion. So when it comes to the state, Christian, you have a responsibility. And the responsibility that you have to the state is 
uh, according to Romans 13, is be subject to the governing authorities. You have to listen to the governing authorities. You have to obey the laws. You have to um, treat your neighbor with respect. You have to respect private property. You have to obey what the government tells you. Now, some Christians say, of course, what happens when the government tells me to do something that my belief system says I shouldn't do? And that's, that where, that's where we get yeah. tricky. So that's where we get civil disobedience. That's where we get people like Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King. That's where even um, we get way further back in the beginning of the church, we get Peter and, and uh, John who say to the governing authorities of their day, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight for us to obey you or God. But as for what we're going to say, we can't help tell people that Jesus is alive. I mean, the government authority at that point was telling them, shut up about Jesus. And they said, no, we're going to tell people about Jesus because that authority to tell people about Jesus subverts the, the uh, legal responsibility of the church over us. But where the state does not co-opt your Christian conscience, you should obey. And you should pay taxes. I mean, we all, we all love taxes, right? You guys big fans of taxes. Oh, love it. Yeah, love that. Oh, man. Can't wait. <laughs> so, anyway... You should pay taxes, and this is what he talks about in Romans chapter 13. So then Jesus talks about feeding the poor, and this is the, this is the argument. This is the argument the socialists make. This is the argument the open borders people want to make. That's right. Yeah, Jesus is caring about the poor. He wants the poor to be fed, and so we as a nation, we should, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Suddenly now we are a Christian nation. Suddenly now we are Jesus' yeah, nation. Yeah, when it helps. Like, again, pick and choosing. We've mm-hmm. got to be careful about that. And so, yes, Jesus did say feed the poor, but he was not in saying that instituting a national... Uh, legislative uh, act. Like this is for his people. So, as instruments of America, as you know, ambassadors, if you will, of America, we should be generous. We should be giving. We should be lending a hand to those in need. But the question always comes to this: Where does that end in terms of governmental responsibility? And that's what politics really argues about. Yeah, that's really where it argues. I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road in every political decision, every election. Do we? Do we lower taxes uh, so that we can give the richer people more money, or do we raise taxes so that we can give poor people more money? And it really comes down to that. That's the argument. I'm not here to make take a side in that argument, but I am here to say this is how you respond to things like the migrant crisis, because the migrant crisis is going to ultimately be a governmental decision. And what does a Christian do in response in in relation to their government? At the end of the day, we need to pray for our government right. leaders. This comes from 2 Timothy, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul says, I urge, first of all, that prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So in other words, Christian, when it comes to this decision as to what our government is going to do, before you take a political side, pray for your leaders that are currently in office so that they make the right decision so that there is peace. Because where there's peace, we can preach the gospel. Where there's peace, we can share the message of Jesus. Where there's no peace, you can't. And that's really our responsibility when it comes to our governmental leaders. Regardless of who wins what election, you've got to pray for them as Christians. Yeah, it's like That's what it really comes down to. And then we were talking about this a little bit earlier, which is that there's always an implication to a government decision that could go either badly or poorly in ways that we don't understand. Like these decisions are huge. You you were talking about this Brent earlier about letting them all in. Some of the implications that we may not currently think about but ultimately might it, they might lead to. Well, what happens if that number doubles or triples or quadruples and you have everybody flocks here in the billions, then you have chaos. Yeah. But we no, none of us have come here uh 
we've all been immigrants. Yeah, so, this is a nation of immigrants. Right. right. So how do you, you know, and that, there that's is why there is laws in Legal place. immigration where right. people come in through the process. And how about right. those people who feel like, wait a second, we did what was right. We waited our turn. We got in line. We obeyed the laws. And now people coming in who disrespect the laws. And yeah. that's the discussion that's constantly had. And I'm married to an immigrant. <laughs> she wasn't born in this country. And her family did do the work necessary to come into this country legally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same and with my in-laws. Same with your in-laws. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And so there is that argument to be made. Like there are laws and there are things that the government does that need to be obeyed. And these Christians who get all into this idea, let's spiritualize the immigration policy of this country. Let's spiritualize it for the sake of feeding the whole world. First off, when we were talking about this, this nation does a ton of so humanitarian yeah. work through our government and through our taxes. Most Billions. in history. The most in history. We are the richest country in the world, and we are in the history of the world, I believe, the stats bear this out, the most generous country in the yeah, history of the yeah, world. definitely. So it's already happening. And can always do more. We can always do more. We're not which, perfect. Which, you know, the argument, if you have everyone come here without following legal process, you have chaos, and then the country could be at risk of being able to give going forward that's right. right so that's the that's the the nuance of this discussion and then another nuance is if you let all these people in or let's say you let half of them in, or let's let's say you let a quarter of them in whatever um what kind of jobs do they take away from people who are here legally looking for a job you know right now we have an abundance of jobs i guess the jobs report are there's more jobs available than there are people who need a job right now which is great this is good news for our economy and the job market but at the same time we have to make a decision of at what point does that become the law of diminishing returns you've let so many people in that now there's another crisis and so sometimes a government decision about a crisis leads to another unintended crisis and, and these so, are not easy decisions. They're not easy There's decisions. There's a lot of complexity that goes into this. And we've got to pray. That's why I say, at the end of the day, you don't know what's happening in that Oval Office. You don't know what's happening in those Senate chambers. Now, is there corruption? Yes, because it's people. People are corrupt. This is what our faith teaches us. There is nothing in us that is good except for what God pours into us. This is why you want Christians in politics. You want Christians with a conscience running for office, engaged in the process, and I'm a big believer in that. No state church, but definitely Christians involved in the state, making, helping making those decisions. So, you know, before you post online, before you post your, <laughs> you know, your migrant crisis Facebook, this is my opinion yeah, post. Don't take the bait. Don't, don't get take political. the bait yeah. and pray. Right. Like, right. Like, this is why are we so quick? We don't pray. We, well, let me first let me bloviate online to a bunch of strangers and former friends from high yeah. school and step and then, back from the keyboard. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> step back from the just keyboard. Just don't take five. It's, it's too easy to yeah. just, you know, vent your frustration by using the keyboard. Step away. There's a lot of those things you would never say to somebody face to face. And that's the truth. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Way back, I remember. Um, I don't know if anybody out here, these guys are old enough to remember. I remember when George W. Bush was in office and Hollywood hated him, just like they hate all the Republican presidents. And, but at that time, they really hated him. And I remember one of the persons that hated him the most was Barbara Streisand. Remember this? Yeah. She hated him. Oh, man, she got interviews. She was talking about how much she hated this guy. And then I'll never forget, I saw him and her meet each other at some gala, some event, and they kissed on the cheek and they shook hands and they were all smoochy, smoochy. I love you. Yes, it's nice to meet you. I mean, when you're in the presence of the person, it's a lot harder to be, you know, angry and mean and yeah. 
dispirited toward them. That was the event. I think it was $5,000 a plate. So Yeah, there you, know, you go. That, right, that puts right. it in context. That, it, <laughs> that makes everybody happy. <laughs> anyway, so that's the politics segment today, and I uh, hope you uh, think about those things. I hope that it helps you navigate these issues because they're always difficult. Let us know in the comments what you think. We want to hear from you. I love comments, love questions. Okay. So, new segment. We're going to introduce right now to the deep end. It's called The Church Has Left the Building. We had an interview with a public school uh, assistant principal from Central High School. He's also a member of my church here in Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And I want to show you, introduce you to this guy. This, this is a great topic about how to survive and thrive in the public school system. Let's go to The Church Has Left the Building. Okay, well, welcome John Walker to the Deep End Studio here today. Uh, John is the assistant principal at Central High School in Providence, Rhode Island, and he is also a church, Waters Church small group leader, married uh, with a bunch of kids. That's right. And we're so excited to have you on the Deep End today. We're going to talk about this very important topic for young people watching and parents of young people, how to survive and thrive uh, in the public school system as a Christian. Absolutely. Something so. really dear to me. I'm very glad to have this opportunity to talk. Oh, welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, John, uh, tragedy struck early for your high school this year. Yeah. Uh, talk about it. What happened? Uh, so we were kind of going through our thing of getting the school set up, a uh, very large school. It was, uh, you know, just kind of business as usual, kind of getting the kids in, meeting them, greeting them, doing all those different things. And then on the second day of school, unfortunately, we had a killing I want to say about 50 feet away from a our, shooting our main entrance. Yeah. So not only was it a shooting, but it was a killing. So oh. it, it was a, a, a rough way to start the second day of school. I bet that was an, um, that's terrible. And, and again, it was one of those moments as a Christian, you say, all right, what do you do when tragedy hits? How will you respond? And so it was amazing to see all the different uh, members of our, our community there at the school rallying together in prayer and supporting that family. Um, in fact, the, uh, the, the young man who was slain, his family, were, they were such believers in the Lord. And, really? And, when I went to that funeral service uh, for the young man, you just saw the, the emotions and the pouring out. Uh, they had the governor of the state was there at, at the funeral, and they talked about Jesus the entire time. Mm. So here again, in this tragedy, was a moment to, to speak for Christ and a moment to show people that there's more to this life than what we see, and, and that's Christ. So. Amazing. Actually, this is amazing, and it's a testament to what the Scriptures teach about how God repeatedly brings triumph out of tragedy. Yeah. No parent wants to go through that. Uh, I wouldn't wish that upon any Christian parent, but I mean, how uh, any parent, never mind just Christian parent, but how uh, amazing in the providence of God to use a, a family that was ready to share the light of Jesus in the midst of that dark moment. Uh, so you are a, uh, one of the strongest Christians I know at our church. Um, I value your Christian witness and testimony and the way that you live your life and the way that you raise your kids. And you like me, have your kids not in private Christian schools, but in the public school system, which I'm a big believer in as Christians. I think we got to do a better job raising our kids to be believers amongst unbelievers and get used to right now learning how to walk as Christ followers in in many respects, a non-Christian environment. Well, I think, again, it's just that value of the community, right? You, You have this school system, you hear all the stories about how it's broken and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. But I challenge parents to be involved, to say, you know what, I'm putting my kid in this school, and not only am I going to just drop him off and wait Mm. for him to come back, but I'm going to get to know his teachers, I'm going to get to know the friends that he's hanging out with, I'm going to get to know more about what's going on in his everyday experience at that school. 
And then I'm going to figure out ways to bring in um, ways to support his, his class so that he can have the best learning opportunity available. And that's um, being salt. That's being salt. That's, <laughs> that's it. being that's light. It. And, and I really think it's that practical aspect. Of Getting things. in there. That's how we represent our faith. We really want our children to be intentional about their faith yeah. every day. We, we preachers like to say the salt in the salt shaker serves no purpose. It has to come out. That's right. <laughs> it has to be sprinkled on the food for seasoning and to make a difference. And that's what Christians have to do. So many times Christians are big believers, not all Christians, but many, uh, get into our Christian enclaves, our yep. Christian subcultures. We even have our Christian you know, sub-celebrity culture, sub-book you know, culture, sub-everything right, culture. Right. And it's like, wait a second, why can't we just be Christians in the cultural conversations? Correct. Which you look at the scriptures, you look at Daniel, yep. you look at Esther, uh, these heroes of the Babylonian captivity in, in yeah. Israel's history, and there they were at the positions of power, right next to Nebuchadnezzar, right next to the Xerxes, the king of uh, Persia. So you have this influence that you can exert, but it's no good unless it gets out there. Absolutely. That's it. It's all about being real, being authentic. We talked about that. You taking the time to invest in your neighborhood, into your community, into that school, and just being yourself. And And I think that's the... The exciting thing about it is we are called as Christians, right, to just go out and love people and that God has given us certain gifts and abilities yeah. and where our kids are coming in there and they're getting to get involved with these young people and just be a blessing to them. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, again, I was sharing with you, my father was absolutely against public education. He right. did not let me go to public school. And your father's a preacher. Through. Father's a preacher. He was like, no way, not my child. And uh, we've been so fortunate. I, I won't lie. I was a little nervous putting my kid in public schools and... I, I learned very quickly that if you're involved with what's going on, it, it makes it such a great experience. So yeah. we really had a great time with it. And was part of your decision to put your children in public school because of the upbringing that you had of being private school, Christian educated yourself? That was that a really happened? hard one to, to kind of let that go. Uh, we really wanted to put our children in private school. That was our thing. It was all about, oh, this must be the best education. And we found, and this is not to offend anyone in, in the you figure out the best school for your child. Yeah, and, I'm and a big so believer in that. Yeah. As we researched different schools, we found some schools. We said, hey, we believe in this school. It's, it's a public school, but we think this would be a great school for our kids to go. And again, it's it's not something where you just drop your kid off and then pick them up. You really have to understand what's going on, the, the curriculum that's being taught. Um, and so there is that, that part where you really have to be willing to put the time in to make sure you know what's going on. Um, I always... Tell, uh, tell my brothers, because I have one brother who's a homeschooling parent. I've got uh, another brother who's got his kids in a private school. So we all have them in different places. And my biggest emphasis is that, yes, we do allow the, the, the schools to teach, but we are ultimately responsible for our children learning. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that and that's next big. step and check in. That's big. You, Christian parent, are ultimately responsible for your, Christian, for your child's Christian yep. education. Absolutely. We, as the church, we will support you, and we yep. will... Teach your kids the fundamentals, but we have them for an hour a week. That's it. You have them for you know, the rest of the week outside of their education system, and yep. you've got to make that effort. And yep. as a parent, as a Christian, um, as a Christian parent, yep. who is also you both, your, you and your spouse, they, you both work, um, what does that look like for you with your kids at home? It, it is. You have to be intentional. Mm. You have to say, all right, this is what we're doing. You, know, you, you go back to that Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, yeah. right? And you're sitting there going, well, what does that look like? And obviously, as your kids get older, they notice. They notice how you interact with your spouse. They interact, notice how you handle uh, frustrations and different things. And so are you willing to understand that your kids are watching everything that you're doing? And with that idea, 
being humble enough to say, you know what, kids, today dad did not handle that well. And so this is, let's go to the Bible and really understand how God wants us to do this. And mm -hmm. so we have those conversations. We really try to make it a point of understanding that we, we're growing together in our faith and that we, we love our children and we want to continue to help them and, and, and teach them that their faith has to be their own. They, yeah. have, they have to go for it. I'm so thankful to be at Waters, all the fantastic things they have going on with the kids and the programs. But again, they have to make the decision, right? They have to choose. Yeah. They have to seek out. And, and, and so that's, that's really what's going on. And, and, and then on top of that, I think in, in a way, it's almost an advantage to be in a public school because it really is your decision, right? I, yeah, I grew up it in personalizes faith. Yep, and and I, I'm thankful for it again. I, I was, you know, chapel services and different yeah. things like that. But my son has to say, make a determination: How will I live for God every day? But you he make a great point there because a lot of Christians um, unintentionally institutionalize their children's faith. Yeah. Institutionalize meaning I put them in the Christian school; yeah. they're Christians. Yep. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I went to a Christian college. Yep. I didn't go to Christian high school, but Christian college, and there was a lot of non-Christians. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of pagans. There were a lot of angry people too. They were angry, angry because their parents either forced their parents them to forced go. Them to go. Yep. And so for me, and that's what I see, Cheryl and I see that with our kids is that you know, they're coming home with the questions. They're coming home with the subtle, like, you know, nuanced attacks on their faith that are sometimes through the education process, sometimes through friends that don't think before they speak like all kids do. Yep. But you have that moment to say, this is who we are. And it is not about being in an institution. It is about being in Christ and being strong in who you are. Absolutely. That's it. And, and are you willing, when that moment comes, to stand up for Christ? Yeah. And that, that's really where you're coming at, down to it. Um, and I think what's been so amazing for me, too, is every time I stand up for Christ, I realize there's so many other believers that I had no idea. Exactly. And they're right there with me. And so it is those moments where you're like, you know what, Lord, even when I'm feeling like, oh, all by myself. You realize, no, you're not. There's all these other right. Christians too praying and supporting you and, and maybe even sometimes right next door to you. Well, and, you and I, we, we're in the same town. Yeah. And it's funny because we'll go pick up our kids for the same event yep. somewhere and I'll suddenly see you come running up to me or walking up here. I'll see you. And yep. and it's it's just nice to have, oh, there's my brother. You know, yep. we, we are together in this and it's not us versus the world either. Right. And right. we've got, to, I think there's a big point about that. Like if you're a Christian, I think we were talking about this earlier, get involved in yeah. the school system. Yeah, right. The no, reason why on. there's so much you know, secular engagement yeah. there is because yeah. the Christians said, whoops, we're stepping away. Well, and I'll tell you too, completely honest, because again, I've been working in inner city for 15 years, and there is so much hurt and there's so much pain, but there's so many opportunities to bring in the love of Christ. Yes. So I will tell you that I've had many, many opportunities just to share the love of Christ, right? And, and simply by being kind and by being loving and talking to the young people and families, there is so many opportunities to witness for Christ in our, in our schools right now. It's, it's an amazing opportunity to be in the public school. So for the people who are worried or yeah. have some kind of fear about putting my kid in public school, I, I would tell you almost the opposite way. Like what an opportunity to get in there and, and really get to love on people and to bring Christ to other people. It's really about the perspective. Like, what is your perspective when you go into that school? Are you going to go into that school thinking it's me versus them? Or are you going to go into yeah. that school, like you just said, and I'm going to love people and I'm going to look for yep. those opportunities to be Jesus to those people, to be like Jesus. Absolutely. And that's pretty cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to share about, like what for the parents out there listening, and okay, here's their thing. My kid just came home and he told me there's, 
you know, they were taught that there's 45 genders by their educator or their, yeah. that my kid just came home and they, and they were taught, um, you know, uh, gay, uh, being gay is normal, natural, you're born with it, da, 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 all these things that as a Christian, we're going to, you know, we're going to push against that as Christians, we're going to have a different view. Any advice there for parents of that? Or even evolution, we were talking about that before too. They come home, mom, I just learned I'm descended from monkeys and yeah. all that Adam and Eve stuff, that's nonsense. And the Bible was written by men. Any Advice there. I, I think, again, I think that's where we have the opportunity to show wisdom. We have the opportunity to know we know the truth, right? And so if we know the truth, we can listen to somebody else without having to get angry and upset at mm, them or trying to insult that's them. That's good. We can hear their, their argument. We can hear their point of view. And then we can provide our evidence, our reason for why we believe the way we believe. And, and it is that hope that there'll be some sort of mutual respect, right? We know that we're going to be respectful to that other person or whoever that even it might even be a teacher. Um, my wife was telling me a story. She she dealt with a high school teacher who didn't like the fact that my wife didn't believe in evolution like that teacher did. And my te- uh, my wife wrote this very long letter and was trying to get this best grade that she could. And the and the uh, teacher said, "No, I'm going to give you a B." And my wife was like, "But why?" And she's like, "Well, because you don't agree with what I'm saying." Wow. And it was one of those moments <laughs> where my wife was like, uh, "No, this is the truth. This is what I believe, and I've I've gone like this." And so she was able to articulate that with the teacher, and the teacher actually changed her grade. Because my wife took a stand for her faith. And wow. So, and that's when she was in high school. This was high school. And so wow. my wife, all the way through being in the medical profession, she's, she stood up for her faith. And so it's, it's just that reality that we are working in a world where everyone wants a text message and do all these things where I don't have to actually physically interact with you. Here we are in a school yeah. where you have that chance physically to be in a room with somebody else who might have a different opinion than you, and you can speak it in a way that's respectful. And I, I think that's where it starts, right? Because again, we're trying to teach our young people how to handle conflicts and different things outside of the schools as well. And so yeah. it is something that we, we really try to get that idea across that you might believe a certain way, but this that's is what we I do. Yeah. At our home too, when our kids come home and they say, and my, my daughter I was telling you this earlier, my daughter comes home and, you know, at least three times a year of a school year, <laughs> now that she's in high school, she gets called homophobic. Not because she intentionally hates any gay person, yeah. simply because their friends know that she's a Christian. Christian yeah. has become yeah. synonymous with homophobia a lot, in large part because of the pop culture, you know, meme culture of what it has become. You know, the conversation is not that. Um, and and yet, when she comes home, and and or any of my children come home, we have that opportunity, like you just said, which is here's who we are. Yeah. That's they are them, and you are you. Yeah. And that pushback we found that that pushback that we get from the public school system yeah. actually helps enhance our opportunity yeah. to say, yeah, but this is who you are. Yeah. And it's yeah, like rooted now. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, so five kids. Yeah, it's been exciting. <laughs> Good for you. I have three. I'm not yeah. going to catch up to you. <laughs> no We're plans. done. We're done. So. <laughs> Anything else that I haven't covered that maybe you'd want to say to maybe teens or parents of, uh, about surviving and thriving in the public school system? If I had to talk directly to, to the students, I would say again, and maybe I can even look in the camera, I would say just continue to be yourself and, and realize that, that God has you no matter what's going on. I know there are times where you feel stressed or mm. frustrated, but know that God is with you, um, that you really are being a light in that school. Uh, for parents, you know, a lot of parents are worried about having their kids in the schools. It, it really is that matter that if God is with them, who can be against them? Amen. So we're, we're praying for their strength and, and knowing that they have these amazing opportunities within these public schools. I think that was something I learned right away. I was like, wait a minute. All of these things can happen in the public schools. They have all these different programs. Yeah, and events. there's oh, a lot more wow, programs in the public nice schools. Here, you yes. know? And so 
you start realizing these kids have so many opportunities to get involved. And there's so many clubs. My kids love the clubs. They're after school. So many clubs and different things you can do. It's just some some great resources there and a lot of ways to connect. Um, And so, again, and then from a community perspective, as a church, what we can do for our public schools is continue to pray. Pray for them. That's um, right. Understand that it's not this scary thing where you got to avoid it, but instead the opposite, run towards it. Run towards it. And just continue to pour out that love. Um, and I think that's how we reach people. We talked about how you can be a witness. And again, it's your actions, right? You, you, you're, you show Christ with the way you're going in with all these different people in, in every moment. And so I think that's what I've enjoyed. Uh, my job is exciting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's ups and there's downs and there's all these different things. But every day I know that I, when I come into that building, I have an opportunity to show the love of Christ to these yeah. people. And so um, it, it's a lot of fun. And, and now I get to also do it with the staff. So yeah. there you go. John, I'm so glad to have you and uh, so glad that you're part of Waters Church, you and your wife, Joanna. You guys are um, gems to our church, and we thank God for you. Uh, Praying for you, praying for uh, Central High School in Providence, and if you're watching, you can pray right now for Central High School in Providence. Pray for John, assistant principal. He's doing a fantastic job. First year. First year. Very very exciting. (laughs) So much to learn. (laughs) So awesome to have a godly man in that position. He needs your prayers, your school's. They need your prayers, and they need Christians involved. Get involved. Don't be afraid. Be like Jesus. Amen. Thanks, John. Thank you. Man, I like that John Walker. Mm, yeah, he's segment. the best. What a good guy. Segment. Yeah. The church has left the building, so we're going to be doing that segment on a regular basis with people who are being Christian in the marketplace of the world, and uh, that's just something that I'm a big believer in. Who cares how Christian we are in the church? We need to be Christian outside the church. Yeah. And we're out there. We're all around you. Yes, so we are. Watch out. Yeah. All right. That sounds creepy. I was scared. <laughs> Let's go. We're coming to get you. Let's go to Ask Anything. We got a couple of questions, and uh, we might yeah. touch on Revelation a little bit later, but today we're doing a lot of different segments. And so a couple of questions came in last week. And again, submit your questions, 508-316-9333, or to the comment section if you're okay with them being public. But if you want to privately... Text us, you can. And I think we got a couple last week. So let's go to the question number one. Yeah, we do. The first one says, I came to Christ in a semi-legalistic church. I left it as they moved away from the true word of God. I am always cautious as to not fall into the legal trap again. However, how do I not come across to other Christians whom see nothing wrong with drinking and visiting casinos and when I personally choose not to engage in those activities? Am I being legalistic? Who am I to judge? But it should be both ways. I feel sometimes singled out because I choose to abstain from certain entertainment that seems okay to others. Romans 14, 13 convicts me that I should not be a stumbling block, but I also don't want to go along with activities as mentioned above. Please help. Okay, that's a good question. Like the legalistic question and uh, what's right, what's wrong. And when I'm around Christians who aren't doing what I think is right, what should I do? Or if I'm around Christians that I'm doing something that they don't think is right, what should I do? This is something that the early church struggled with and Paul addressed on several occasions. He addressed it in 1 Corinthians last year. Uh, on the deep end, we did that um, podcast and I encourage you to look it up. I have conservative and liberal friends. What should I do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, oh. we did an episode about that. You can look it up, but I want to just answer this person because here's what I thought when I asked, when I heard that question, I would encourage you to learn how to bask in the, asec- in the acceptance and the approval of God, not man. And I think if Christians just did this, like if we just rejoice that we are children of God, not by works, but by faith, by grace, we would be a lot more tolerable. And the people around us who are different than us and have different convictions than us would also be a lot more tolerable for us. You know, the, the thing about the Pharisees that Jesus would um, 
would, would critique. And you have to remember that the Pharisees were a very religious, very devoted group of people in Judaism in the first century. They were not evil. They had good intentions in some respects, but ultimately what it became was it became like this little inside click of moralism, this inside click of we are good people. And eventually those inside clicks, they turn into this, well, I actually rejoice more in the fact that I'm accepted by this group than I am by God. Yeah, That happens in churches all over the place. So we create these like moralistic codes and everybody's got to live by the code. In some churches it's don't go to movies. In some churches it's don't go to casinos. In some churches it's don't drink alcohol at all. And we have all these little subculture Christianity groups that say these are our unwritten codes. And if you live up to these codes and you are accepted by us. And unfortunately we fall into that pharisaical trap. John chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And what he's saying there is you love your acceptance, your in-group acceptance more than you love the acceptance that you could have with God through what I'm going to do for you at the cross. Really, that's what it came down to. Sometimes, and this is a, this is a huge problem in the church that I see all over the place, we obey God for our sake, yeah. rather than obey God for his sake. It happens all the time. Yeah, we see it all the time. It happens in America. Gallup poll came out with this, the things that, a couple of years ago, the things that Americans consider wrong. Uh, top of the list, 92% of Americans consider adultery to be wrong. And it, it was kind of like an f- outlier wow. of sexual sins for American consciousness because we see it. America is moving more and more and more into the sexual licentious you know, atmosphere. You know, if it feels good, do it. You know, the sexual revolution has produced all these kind of like streams of sexual promiscuity that former days would have, you know, former generations would have looked down on. Now we celebrate it. Now we, we rejoice. And now we think it's the answer to all of our, you know, desires, hopes and dreams, whatever. Anything goes. Yeah, anything goes. Look at all the TV shows that celebrate it. Exactly. But why is adultery still so almost universally condemned. Like only 8% of America actually yeah. thinks it's good. And it would seem like, oh, that's because they still have a conscience. But what kind of conscience? And here's the question. Here's the point I want to really bear down on. Because I think what it is with adultery is, is that one sin that you don't like because you don't want it to happen yeah, to you. That's mm. so true. That's right. And yep. so, of course, it's wrong because I would be devastated if my spouse ever did that to me. And so that's at the top of the list of the Ten Commandments because I would never want to experience the devastation that that brings. And so we don't, again, we don't serve God out of his sake. We, well, for his sake, we serve God for our sake. Be careful of that. That's a pharisaical attitude. That's a pharisaical, pharisaical, we're in our Christian moralistic enclave and we have these unwritten rules and as long as we all abide by them, we'll all be accepted by each other. All right, look, Christianity is a big tent. You're going to have to learn this and we're going to talk about this next week on um, our Revelation segment. Mm -hmm. Lots of Christian churches have different moral codes and we've got to stop demonizing one another and we've got to start saying wait a second let's get back to what makes us right before god not our moral codes not our moral upbringing not our moral legalistic righteousness but the finished work of jesus at the cross and so what i would say back to your question is this you came from a semi-legalistic church you got out because they moved away from the word of god um, and then you don't want to fall into that legalistic trap again but you still have these friends with different moralistic codes than you. You've got to learn to do a couple things. Here's what I would, I would suggest. Repent, first of all, of your attempt 
at pleasing God with your moral obedience. One of the things that I tell our leaders at Water Church is we don't just repent of our sins. We also repent of our works righteousness. That, that means the things that we think make us good before God. Those things that we, those transactional unwritten agreements that we make for God. So God, I'm going to go to church for six months straight. Fix my marriage. Like, wait, God didn't sign up for that. You know, and so it's a transactional uh, relationship. You need to get out of that. You need to get away from that completely because you are not made right by your works. You are made right by God's uh, Christ's work for you. Secondly, I would say this, accept yourself for where you are in the process of regeneration, in the process of transformation. God is working on you. Uh, there's the great phrase from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. A lot of people know the first part of this verse. They don't know the last part of this verse. The first part of the verse, very famous. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. A lot of people love that verse. But it also then says this, for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, you're not called to your purpose. You're called to his purpose. And then it says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, the predestination of God is not just for you to be predestined to get to heaven, but to be predestined to change into somebody that looks a lot like Jesus. That's been in the works since before you were born. God saved you. God found you. God chose you. God has now started to work on you. Accept the process of sanctification. And maybe this right now is a part of that work, you know, struggling with what do I do with my legalistic friends or my non-legalistic friends or the people who do more things than I would be comfortable doing, such as going to casinos or whatever? And then three, relax. Relax <laughs> about the questionable activities of other people because their opinion of you and your opinion of them is yeah. not the final say either way. The final say over every human being is God's say. And you, as a child of God, are accepted by the grace of God freely uh, because of nothing that you've done. Your heart is won over by the work of Christ. So these, these what's right, what's wrong, who should I hang out with, what should I do when they do these things, you know, these questions to me, it sounds a little bit more like, wait, is your heart about your performance as a Christian or is your heart more about, thank you, God, for what you've done for my life? And I think about what, what Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 229. He says, a Jew, a true Jew or a true child of God is one whose heart is right with God and true circumcision or true, you know, being a truly Christian is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the spirit and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, yeah. not from people. So Which means you can go forth in life and you know, partake and be with friends and sometimes have fun. You know, I will go out with a friend and have a beer, but not get drunk. Right. You know, some people are like, oh, no, alcohol is a sin. Right. But is it? Different moralistic codes for different people. Yeah. Again, we don't want to fall into these moralistic enclaves, these moralistic subcultures, because there are some Christians who I would disagree with that say it is a sin on every occasion. Now, I don't believe that, but at the same time, am I now going to make myself feel better because I'm free to drink a drink here or there and they're not? Uh, and I don't drink hardly ever. But the point is that, again, it comes right down to that question of how do we, how do we please God? What makes us pleasing to God? What makes us acceptable to God? It has nothing to do with what we do. Right. It has everything to do with what we believe God did for us. And that's the, the type of thing that can give... Christians a bad reputation as being judgmental. Yeah, but that's where it comes from because yes. we start to think, okay, we got this and you don't got that and shame on you and how about you, you know, toe the line and get with us. That's yeah. a fair say, glad you. That's my advice to you. Anyway, we have another question. Yeah, please, God, not man. Okay. 
I have always heard people say that our name is written in the book of life when we get saved. However, in reading God's word, I have only found verses that explain reasons that our name can be blotted out of the book. Does God have a book that has all of our names in it, and when we refuse to accept him as Savior, he blots it out? The word says he knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. I have wondered, uh, I've wondered about this for a long time. Can you please explain? Deep. Deep. Deep one. Well, it is the deep end. So it is good. the deep end. <laughs> Go deep. So well, let's talk about that because the book of life, Jesus talks about that. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, he says, Do not rejoice in this, that is, the demons are subject to your name, but rejoice rather that your name is written in heaven. Uh, Philippians 4, 3, Paul talks about his true companions. He says, help these women. They've labored side by side with me and the gospel together for uh, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Revelation 3, 5, we're going to get there. To the one who conquers, Jesus says, uh, that person will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name or blot out, yeah, blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So the book of life. First off, um, the question is a bit wrong because there is no place where it says that God will blot out our names in the New Testament. The only place you can actually find that is in Exodus chapter 32, different book. <laughs> uh, there's Exodus chapter 32, and then there's the New Covenant under the people of God through the work of Jesus Christ, different book. Okay, so what I'm trying to say to you here, though, is there's no place in the New Testament where God ever says, or Christ ever says, I'm gonna, if you do this, I'm going to blot you out. Okay. That would make salvation conditional, by the way. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I'll save you by grace, but then you better step it up or else I'm going to bring out that celestial eraser and get you out of that book, you know. And, it's like, and then it's like, okay, well, what if they repent later in life and then God, oh, I guess kind of scribble them, scribble them back in. Oh, shoot, they went to that casino. I'll scratch them out. <laughs> so on and so forth. It goes back and forth like this, and we can, we can get into this religious game. Here's the deal. Uh, the theme of the Book of Life in the New Testament really refers to a couple of key ideas that Christians need to wrap their heads around. Number one, it talks to this idea. God knows those who are his. He has you written down. Yeah. And he has known you since before you were born. So this is helpful to you. And it's helpful to me as a pastor because a pastor has to struggle with, well, did they hear what I had to say? Did they hear the message? Uh, are those hands that go up for salvation, are they real? Do, are the confessions of sin, are, is the baptism um, genuine or is it whatever? We don't worry. I don't worry about that. I had to let this go a long time ago. And the reason why I let it go is because I came across passages of scripture that talk about the fact that G that, that God knows his sheep. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know who is mine. And, and that's what really matters. And it kind of sets me free as a pastor. Now I just tell people, this is what Jesus did respond. And the response is up to God and you. And, and now I don't have to feel like, well, I got to make sure that they're saved. No, no, no. That's not my job. I'm yeah. not the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus's job. So God knows those who are saved. Secondly, the book, the phrase, the book of life refers to encouragement for those that are on earth in this world. They got to remind themselves that this world is ultimately not their home. Their citizenship. This is the, the idea of the book of life. Because yeah. it's, it's referencing in the first century um, civic registers. We would call them censuses today. In Rome, yeah. Yeah, in first century Rome. So these are civic registers that were books, and people would have their names. They were a citizen of Ephesus. They were a citizen of this country or that country, and so they would have their name there. Well, God is just trying to say, look, your name, ultimately your citizenship, is not about where you live here on this earth. It is ultimately about the fact that you're a citizen of heaven, and you are going 
home. You're going to be there one day forever. So it's about encouraging people. Now, back to Genesis, uh, Revelation. This is going to help us touch on Revelation for this podcast episode, and then we'll move on. But it's real quick, and it brings me to one last segment, brand new segment we're rolling out today. It's called Give Me That Context. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for... Okay, very creative stuff that we do around here. All Great segue. I yeah, loved it. <laughs> all right. So let's take a look at the context that I'm talking about. And really, it's Revelation 3, 5. Here's what it says. Uh, to the one who conquers, uh, the one who conquers, I'm sorry, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name or blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, this is written to the first century church in, um, I think it's uh, Smyrna or Sardis, one of those churches. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about those churches next week. But what you have to realize about the context of all of these churches is that many of the Christians in these churches were from a Jewish background. In other words, they were Jews first, they became Christians. Now, in the first century, the Jewish religion was the one religion that was exempt interestingly enough, from worshiping the emperor. There was an emperor cult in the first century. Imagine if we had this today. Some people still do have this today, <laughs> depending, on who's, yeah, depending on who's in office. But the idea was you worship the emperor. There was a saying, Caesar is Lord. To maintain your citizenship, you had to say things like that. You had to worship the emperor. Yeah. In fact, when emperor worship took hold in the Roman Empire, it actually start, they started building temples in all these cities. One of the places where they built the first Emperor Temple was in the city of Ephesus, which is one of the seven cities of Asia Minor to whom Revelation is written, which is interesting. So in in Ephesus, you've got this temple to the Roman emperor, and you go there and you worship or you're denied citizenship and your name is written off the rolls of the Roman citizenry. Well, Jews were exempt. Why? Good question. The reason why Jews were exempt was because the Romans had great respect for ancient religions that predated them. Okay. For whatever reason. They liked history. Yeah, they liked history. They were history buffs. Well, who knew? (laughs) So they actually allowed the Jews to not worship the emperor. It was really interesting. That's cool. Okay, so if you're... now, Now think about this. If you're a Jewish person, you come to Christ. You still go to synagogue. Right. Right? And to be a member of the synagogue, your name was written in the rolls of the synagogue. So Roman emperor worship happens... You have Jewish right to say, nope, I don't worship the emperor. Oh, but now you're a Christian. And the problem that many first century Christians experienced was not the rejection of the Roman Empire. It was the rejection of the Jewish nation, the Jewish faith. So they were cast out of synagogue. When they were cast out of synagogue, guess what? Their names were erased erased from the synagogue membership role. Now you're up a creek without a paddle. As a Christian in the first century, yeah, what do you this do? is the persecution they were facing. Oh, okay. Amazing. And so what Jesus is amazingly saying here now is, your name might be a pariah in Rome because you're not worshiping the emperor because you're a Christian, and your name might be no longer protected by being on a synagogue registry because they erased you because you became a Christian. I got good news for you. You hold to the faith. You stay strong in spite of what people say about you and what they threaten to do to you. 
and I, Jesus says, will never blot your name out of my book. Cool. That gets a big amen. That's powerful, isn't yeah, it? it is. And this is why we do a segment called Give Me That Context, because so yeah. many times we go to the Bible and we say, oh, there's a book of life, and surely God is up in heaven scratching out and writing back in and scratching. No, no, that's not the intention of this text. The Bible was not written to you. The Bible was written for you, and there is an ancient people's context that matters for interpretation today. And that's why we have the Deep End podcast. Deep end. Yeah, bring it all around. Deep. So that's how far we're going to get to uh, Revelation today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, Brent Tuthui, let us know about how can people help us out with getting get the more. word out about yeah. the Deep End yeah, podcast. Yeah, so uh, as Tim has said in the past, Jesus was the greatest marketer of all time. He didn't have social media, video, none of these things, but used word of mouth. And that's what we can do too. All we have to do is share on our social media page. We have those tools at our at our disposal now. All you have to do is like the page, okay? like not just the comment or the video, but the actual page, and that is on Facebook and also on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yes, yep. subscribe. And then share that with your friends. One click. That's all it takes. And like the Deep End Facebook page. Like the Deep End Facebook page. The Deep End Facebook page. Right, you yeah. guys are great marketers. Thank you for... We learned it from Jesus. <laughs> being so profusive about that. That's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook.com slash the Deep End TV, YouTube.com slash Waters Church, and visit us deependlive.tv on the Deep End.tv. The Deep End.tv. The Deep End.tv? That's right? Okay. Okay. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.